Good afternoon. I hope everyone is doing well. Uh, for years, I had a Dunkin' Donuts gift card that sat unused in a drawer in my apartment. Someone had looked at me and they said, you know what this guy needs? Donuts. So out of the generosity of their hearts and out of their own pockets and their own resources, they bought me this gift card. I received the gift, and then I proceeded to put that gift in the drawer, and it remained unused for years. And I would guess that actually, there's a lot of people in the room right now who would say, um, I have one of those gift cards <laughs> sitting in my drawer right now. In fact, researchers tell us that there are billions of dollars of unused gift cards sitting in drawers in homes all throughout America. Someone paid for the gift, we received the gift, yet the benefits of that gift remained unused. In this series, we have been talking about toxic shame. Woo! I know it's a serious topic. Toxic shame, it's difficult, it's hard, it's been uncomfortable. And we've learned that Jesus covers our shame, hallelujah. We've learned that we can walk in freedom from our shame. We have all the gifts that Jesus paid for. We have received the gifts, but now we have to go out and spend them. If Jesus purchased our freedom from shame, why are we still walking in it? We got the gift card sitting in the drawer, but how do we go out and actually spend it? To answer that question, we are going to turn to the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul wrote many of the letters in the New Testament. Today, we're going to be looking at his letter to the Ephesians. So if you have your Bible, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 1. We're going to begin in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him, who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him, you also, when you heard of the word, word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, were sealed with the promise, Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. Now, you may be thinking, what in the world does that have to do with shame? 
absolutely everything. This passage points us to God's answer for our shame. And it's more than just positive self-talk. It's better than just an emotional, spiritual experience. It's different than just having good self-esteem. God has a deep, sustainable, ultimate answer for our shame, and it's found in two words. I tried to emphasize them as I read the passage, but Paul mentions two words over and over and over again in this long run-on sentence that we just read. In Christ. In Christ. In Christ. Paul says we are blessed in Christ. We are adopted in Christ. We are redeemed in Christ. We have been sealed in Christ. In Greek, this passage, the whole thing, is one long run-on sentence. And in this passage, 11 times is the phrase, in Christ, or a similar phrase, in Christ. Over 160 times in the letters of Paul does he mention in Christ. So when Paul is looking for language to describe what it's like for us as followers of Jesus, the way he describes it is that we are those who are in Christ. For Paul, it's the heartbeat of the Christian life. So what is God's answer to the lies that shame whispers to us? It's more powerful, more beautiful than we could possibly imagine. It is shocking, really. In God's plan of redemption, by faith, we are united with Jesus. We are given an intimate and vital connection with the living God. Theologians call this union with Christ. And it is so beautiful and so glorious and so mind-blowing, the authors of the New Testament use metaphors to explain it. Jesus, for example, uses the metaphor of the vine and the branches, Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. We're vitally, we're intimately connected to one another. The Apostle Paul says it's kind of like the head and the body. Physiologically speaking, how connected are you today with your head? Like very connected, right? It, it's a vital connection, <laughs> It's an intimate connection. The separation would be fatal. Paul says our union with Christ is like that. He also connects union with Christ with marriage. Two become one. The apostle Peter uses a different metaphor. He says it's like you're, you are a living house with the bricks that make up the walls and God himself lives in that house. Okay, okay, you're saying, I hear you. You're telling me that by faith in Jesus, I enter into a new relationship with him where we are intimately and vitally connected one to the other, like a branch and a vine, like our head and the body. Great. Now, what is that supposed to look like? What does that feel like? How do we experience that in our daily lives? It sounds great. 
Can you flesh that out a bit for me? Well, in our passage today, we see that there are two parts to this relationship with Jesus. You are in Christ, and Christ is in you. You are in Christ, Christ is in you. So when we wake up in the morning as followers of Jesus, two things are true. I am in Christ, and Christ is in me. You are in Christ. Let's look at that together. To be in Christ, it means that Jesus represents you and Jesus covers you. All that is his is yours. When we put our faith in Christ, something crazy happens. Jesus becomes our representative. His victory becomes our victory. We're connected to him personally and everything he accomplished becomes ours. For example, last summer was the World Cup, which is objectively speaking the very greatest sporting event in history. I love the World Cup. And last year, the Americans, if you watched, they needed to win this game in order to advance to the group stage. And there was this player, Christian Pulisic, who is the, one of the stars of the American team. And Pulisic scored the winning goal, which won the game for us and allowed us to advance. Now, Pulisic scored that winning goal, but the victory was credited to the whole team. It was also credited to the coaches and to the fans who were in the stadium. It was also credited to our whole country who got to advance in the World Cup. It was also credited to me and my boys sitting in our living room yelling, we won, we won, we won. But what did we win? We did nothing. We were watching the TV and eating Doritos. <laughs> Christian Pulisic scored the goal, but his, his goal won the victory, which was applied to us. And that is the truth of the Christian life. When we are in Christ, his achievement, his, his victory, his work is credited to our account. We, in a very real way, participate in Christ's life. Obedience, death on the cross, resurrection, ascension, all that he accomplished becomes ours. In our passage that we read today, I know it was a mouthful, we see all of these different elements of Christ's victory that are applied to us in Christ. Look with me. We are blessed in Christ, Paul says. We're blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Can you imagine that? We pray, God, bless me. Bless my kids. Bless his food. Bless my job. And I wonder if God in heaven is thinking, in Christ, I've already blessed you. There's literally no more blessing I could give you. You have every single spiritual blessing in the heavenly places because you are in Christ and all of Christ's blessings are yours. In Christ, we are chosen. It says, he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. We don't have time today to parse out all the mysteries of predestination and free will. But that's actually not the point of the passage. Paul is saying, if you're in Christ, you're chosen. You were not an accident. You were pursued. You are loved. You are seen even before the foundation of the world. 
Let that just soak into your heart and blow your mind at the grace of God for just a moment. In Christ, we are blessed, we are chosen. In Christ, we are adopted. It says, verse five, in love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ. In Christ, you have been brought into the family of God, not as these kind of um, stepchildren who live on the outskirts of the family. You are brought in as sons and daughters with full inheritances. All of the benefits of sonship that Jesus has with the Father you have. And we're like, what? Not only are we blessed and chosen and adopted, in Christ we are redeemed. In him we have redemption through his blood. And here's what's amazing. In Christ, yes, we are forgiven for our sin, but more than that, we have been redeemed. That means that we have been bought back. At the cross, what Jesus did was he bought, he purchased us out of our bondage of sin and shame. He basically said, they're mine. I paid for them with my own blood. Jesus paid for it. We get the benefit. See, as followers of Jesus, we are in Christ. We are safe in his presence. We are covered by his righteousness. We are clothed in his blessings. We are adopted into his family. We are held secure in his hands. And do you see how this begins to tear down the stronghold of shame in our hearts? In shame, we feel exposed and we feel rejected. In Christ, we are covered and accepted. In shame, we feel worthless. In Christ, we know that we are deeply loved. How loved? Loved to the point where Jesus would pursue us all the way to death on a Roman cross. But that's only half of the good news. We are in Christ. We are safe. We are covered, secured, accepted. But more than that, Christ is in us. Verse 13, in him, we were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. 14, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. This is really good news. In Christ, we are sealed with the Holy Spirit. In the ancient world, a seal would have been placed on a letter or a document, and that seal would authenticate who the document belonged to. In Christ, we are filled with the Spirit as a marker of who we are and what is ours in Christ The Holy Spirit is God's stamp on our lives where he reminds us, this one is with me. He's mine. This is my beloved son. This is my beloved daughter. And I am just going to show everyone and I'm going to go show you once and for all by stamping you with the Holy Spirit. To be united with Christ means that Jesus lives in you through the Holy Spirit. And Paul goes so far as to say this. 1 Corinthians 3.16. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? This is one of the most staggering truths of the Bible. 
If you were to read the entire um, Old Testament, you would see that the temple was a very, very big deal. This was the spot where God's spirit came from heaven to earth. It was sectioned off behind a large curtain. Only one person, the high priest, could enter into God's presence one time a year, and he could only enter in one time per year with a bunch of sacrifices and ceremonies so that um, God wouldn't smite him, basically. (laughs) It was so holy. And you can imagine the shock when we get to the New Testament and Christ says, hey, not only am I dying for you, but I'm actually going to send the Holy Spirit and he's going to be in you. And by the way, you are the new temple. You are the place where heaven is going to meet earth. You are the place where my presence is going to dwell The power of God is in us, growing us, transforming us, strengthening us, leading us, comforting us, empowering us. And you know what this means? As Christians, we are, and we can show this picture, we are more like Spider-Man than we are Batman. Okay, what are Batman's gifts? Let's be real here. External rich, he's rich, thank you. External resources, right? He's got a lot of cool gadgets because he's rich. I love Batman, so no, not hating on anybody, not offending anybody. He, he's got external resources, but Spider-Man is different. Spider-Man doesn't have a lot of external stuff, but he has internal power. He was bitten by a radioactive spider, and his nature was changed, and now his power comes from within. What am I saying? I am saying that we are like Spider-Man, not Batman. But instead of being transformed into something superhuman, actually the power within us is transforming us restoring us back to our full humanity. We are becoming more like Jesus and more like the person he made us to be. So he's not transforming us into something different. He's bringing us back to the original intention of God's heart for us. Okay, you can put that down. I love the way Rankin Wilborn says this. In Christ, you are hidden and secure. Hear hear this, I'm going to read this over you. Just hear this, receive this in your heart right now. In Christ, you are hidden and secure. Christ in you by his spirit dwells and gives you new life and power to change. And all this happens without obliterating you as you. You are precious and unique. God dreamed up the one and only you and knit you together himself. But he created you to be united to him. You are more and most yourself when united to Christ. He covers you. He shields you. He represents you to the Father. He also fills you, illuminates you, and animates you, making you more yourself and more human than you could ever be on your own. Christ in you. You have new power and new strength, the power to grow, the power to love, the power to heal, the power to serve. So by faith, 
you are in Christ. By faith, Christ is in you. That is what union with Jesus looks like. And you're thinking, okay, all right, great. But can we apply that to shame? Like, that's some great theological truth. That's great. We looked at the Bible verse and exegeted it. Wonderful. But when I wake up tomorrow morning and I'm tempted to walk out the door with my head sunk down and my shoulders low, feeling the weight of shame on my shoulders, how do I apply the truth of union with Christ to my shame? Well, there are some very common lies that are central to shame's power in our lives. And our union with Jesus answers all of these lies definitively. So let's go through them one one by one and let's apply the truth of the scripture to the lies that the enemy feeds us in shame. You with me? Lie number one, you don't matter. That's what shame's gonna whisper to you and attack your identity. But what does this verse tell us? You're in Christ. You are an adopted son or daughter of the king of the universe. You are chosen. You are blessed with every spiritual blessing. You have an inheritance in him. You're sealed with the Holy Spirit. That is your identity, and it is secure. No one can change that. No one can steal that because that comes from God himself. So when shame whispers, you don't matter, God screams, you are my beloved son, you are my beloved daughter. The second lie we often hear from shame is you don't belong. This lie attacks our relationships. It's that lie we feel when we are uh, entering into a relationship and we just think, you know what? They don't really like you. You don't really belong. You shouldn't put yourself out there. You shouldn't take a risk. You're going to be rejected. You'll never belong. No one really likes you. They all kind of wish you were a little bit different, more like that person. We know that voice, don't we? But what does union with Christ tell us? No. I actually have ultimate belonging. The God of the universe has welcomed me into his family with all the benefits of sonship, all of the benefits that Jesus has as the son of God. I have as God's son. Jesus heard the words of his father. You are my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Jesus speaks, God speaks that over you in Christ. And I'm part of this diverse, sometimes crazy family called the church. And here, I care about people. People care about me. I have acceptance with God that propels me to be vulnerable in my relationship with others. I'm willing to take a risk and sometimes get hurt by another person because I know that my belonging is secure in the family of God and no one can steal that from me. This is the benefits of assurance. And we have assurance of our identity. We have assurance of our belonging. And here's the beautiful part of assurance. It does not lead to arrogance. It actually leads to the freedom of true humility. I think sometimes we think, well, you know, yeah, I'm blessed. I'm chosen. I'm, you know, I'm awesome. Look at me. 
That's the opposite, actually, of the message of the scripture. No, you are blessed, and you are chosen, and you are adopted, and all this is gloriously true, but it actually leads you into deeper humility. And I need to clarify something. In this series, we've been talking about toxic shame. It's a type of self-contempt that causes us to withdraw from the good that God has for us. But there actually is a type of healthy shame. Sometimes I feel shame because I have acted shamefully. And that feeling is a good gift from God. It's God gently and lovingly reminding me of my need for him and my need for others. And God has a path out of healthy shame. It's called confession and repentance. We bring that sin to God. It's like breathing out. I'm confessing this sin to God. And then we breathe in, and we once again receive the affirmation of his love and his forgiveness. Then we bring that same sin to a trusted brother or sister in Christ, and we breathe out. (sighs) I blew it this time. Here's the ugly truth. And then we breathe in. Hopefully this person who you trust is going to remind you of who you are in Christ. They're going to remind you of what is true, what is right, what is good, what is beautiful, and they're going to help you take the right steps towards repentance. But the problem is we don't do this. So a healthy shame often turns into a toxic shame very quickly. We move from thinking, I did something wrong, and just confessing and repenting, to I am wrong. Something's wrong with me. Or I made a mistake turns very quickly into I am a mistake. I made a bad decision as a dad turns into I am a bad dad. You guys understand that. So how do we know the difference between toxic shame and healthy shame? Healthy shame leads to humility. Toxic shame pushes, excuse me, toxic shame leads us to humiliation. Healthy shame pushes us towards God. Toxic shame pushes us into hiding from God. Healthy shame leads us to ask for help. Toxic shame leads us into isolation. You see, these two experiences are worlds apart. Toxic shame is the great enemy of true humility because it attacks your dignity and causes you to think less of who God made you to be. But true humility is not thinking less of yourself. It is thinking of yourself less and thinking of Christ's work more. We are in Christ. Our identity is secure. You have nothing left to prove. All that Christ accomplished is credited to your account. The third lie is this. You don't have what it takes. You don't have what it takes. This lie attacks our gifts and our callings. And when we look at the scripture and we think of our union with Christ, we learn that I have every spiritual blessing in the heavenly place. There is no blessing that I do not have. And in addition to that, I have Christ living in me. The same Jesus who rose from the dead in power lives in me through his Holy Spirit. So I am empowered 
to do everything that God has called me to do. I have everything that I need. The words of Psalm 23 become abundantly true for us. The Lord is my shepherd, not the hypothetical shepherd out there for some other sheep. My shepherd. And in him, I have everything that I need. I lack no good thing. I shall not want. So yes, I am broken. Yes, I have issues. Yes, I struggle with sin. But Christ is my shepherd. I am in him and I have his forgiveness and his grace. I have his spirit and I have his blessing. So when the enemy says you don't have what it takes, we need to remind ourselves of the power of God within us through the Holy Spirit. Blaise Pascal, he's a 17th century French philosopher. He argued that all of us have something called the disinherited prince syndrome. Disinherited prince syndrome. He says, imagine with me that there's a prince and who was, he was heir to the entire kingdom. He had all the riches and all the inheritance of a lavish kingdom. But somehow this prince lost his inheritance. He lost his inheritance. And he was kicked out of the kingdom. And then he spent his whole life trying to recover what he knew deep down he was made for. Trying to recover what he once possessed. Pascal says that's all of us as human beings. Deep down, we know we were made for God. We were made for love, we were made for meaning, we were made for purpose, we were made for Eden, our true home. So we live our lives like disinherited princes, constantly searching for what we know deep down was once ours. This week, I was listening to an interview by a comedian, and he was telling his story, and he said, I was at the height of my career, I was doing tours all over the country to packed out arenas. I had finally booked a Netflix special, which as a comedian, I mean, I was at the height of my life. And then he said an article was published online and basically it led to him being canceled. His, the life that he was, the person he was in public was different from the person he was in private. He was um, inconsistent in his character and it got exposed and he had to shut it all down. And he said, it's in a several year process of, of, um, of therapy and rehab and counseling, he began to process all of this. And he said, I began to look at my story and I realized how much shame was there. He said, I grew up as a church person in church every Sunday, but I never really felt actually that my parents cared much about me. But I noticed that the girls in the youth group thought I was really funny. So I'd look forward to going to church every Sunday to hear the laughs of the girls in the youth group. And he said, God, it makes so much sense. I became a comedian. That was the one place I was finding affirmation. But then I quickly learned that the laughs were not enough. I needed the likes and the shares on the videos. Then I learned the laughs and the likes weren't enough. I needed the sold out arenas to begin filling that hole in my soul. And then the arenas were not enough, so I turned to alcohol. Then the alcohol wasn't enough, so I turned to women. And I went from thing to thing to thing, trying to fill the hole in my soul that I've had since I was a child. 
And I listened to his story. And he said at the end of it, he said, I lived with so much shame. And my whole life has been one string of attempts to cover up that shame from the laughs to the likes to the sold out arenas. And none of it worked. And I thought, man, there's a disinherited prince. And I wonder for us this afternoon, if we have believed the lies and we have thought to ourselves, we've heard you're not enough, you're never going to make it, you never amount to anything, and we have spent our whole lives like disinherited princes trying to fill that hole trying to prove to someone that we were good enough, trying to prove to the world that we're going to make it. Some of you are in New York for that very reason, proving something to somebody. Some of you, that's why you're in your job. Some of you, that is what motivates your life. And I think this afternoon, Jesus wants something better for us. In Christ, we have nothing to prove. The final lie, and then I'm going to land this plane, is this. It's always going to be this way. You see, we hear these eyes, you're not enough, you're never going to make it, you don't belong. And what the enemy does is he whispers one lie on top of the other lie, and that's very simply, it's always going to be this way. And this might be the most dangerous lie of all because it deflates all of our hope. Come on, why work to actually get healthy? Why do the work to get well? Why do the work to get free? Why take a risk being vulnerable with a friend? Why take that time to bring your pain to God Nothing's really going to change. It just is what it is. Keeps us paralyzed, keeps us isolated, keeps us hidden. Last spring, I read a book by a counselor, and he had noticed a pattern in all of his clients. He said they were depleted. They were overwhelmed. He said the pandemic had pushed people beyond their limits. And he said, on top of this being overwhelmed, there was a spiritual attack. There was a lie that he noticed that was prevalent in all of his clients. This is how he said it. Whatever else the enemy brings against you, he will always bring with it a feeling of, I don't want to fight this. The weariness you're feeling, that not now, maybe later, that sense of being overwhelmed, that why bother, who cares? That is the enemy, not you. And to this lie, we must again look to our union with Christ. And we say, it's always going to be this way. No, it's not. Because I'm sealed with the Holy Spirit, who is the down payment, the text says, of what is coming to me in my full inheritance as a son of the living God. Thank you very much. No, I have a glorious future and inheritance coming my way because of my identity in Christ and is guaranteed by God's spirit that he's put in me. See, in shame, we misinterpret the past and we lose hope for the future. In Christ, our past is restored and our future is secured. Just think about this. 
God has good plans for your life. An inheritance is coming your way in him. And God's like, I, I, I don't want you just to know that in your head. I want you to feel it in your bones. So I am filling you, marking you, sealing you with the Holy Spirit. And it's just like a down payment. Because I want you to know there's more coming. So I wonder this afternoon if one of those lies jumped off the screen at you and you said, that's me. I've been believing that one since I was a kid. That's me. That's the shame that I live with. And I wonder today if you'd be willing to bring that to God. To say, no, 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 I no longer am going to believe this lie. I'm going to believe the truth of who I am in Christ. I'm going to believe that Christ is in me with new power. I'm going to believe that I am in Christ with new assurance. And this lie is not going to be a stronghold over me anymore. May you experience the assurance of being in Christ and the power of Christ being in you. Let's pray. Father, as we process this afternoon together, as we think and as we pray and as we respond, we turn to you. Holy Spirit, we do pray that you would be placing your finger on the lies that we have believed, some of us, for decades. The shame that has been keeping us back from pursuing our calling and using our gift, the shame that has been seeping into our identity. And God, today I pray that we would believe the truths of who you say that we are, the reality of our relationship with you. God, we don't want it in our head. We want to feel it in our bones. We want to live it out tomorrow morning when we go to work and we're with our families so, Father, we pray right now, would you work among us? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.